This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to The Real Real, where I take you behind the Instagram reel and into the real lives of entrepreneurs, content creators, and anyone who inspires me and may inspire you too. I'm your host, Natalie Barbu, and let's get into it. Any alcohol that has a, any inkling of being associated with women is a girly drink and yeah. it's only for women. And so that's what we're trying to do with Heriden is we're we're focusing on these heroines of history, but we're not trying to position it as like, you know, this one's a drink for the ladies. Like we're like this is for anyone who believes in equality. And if you don't believe in equality, I don't want you yeah. looking at my brand. Like you can walk down the aisle. It's for anyone who believes in equality and is excited to learn about figures of history that haven't been appreciated. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Real Real podcast. I am super excited to be on the mic. I am feeling a little sick. So if you think my voice sounds different, it's probably because it does. I feel a little under the weather. I actually recently got cupping done two days ago. So I don't know if you guys know what that is, but it's where they like put some suction cups on your back. And I've been going through some, uh, not issues, but I've been, I have scoliosis and my back has been hurting a little bit. I'm trying to get everything in check. I'm trying to, you know, be preventative. So I've been going to a chiropractor and she does other things than just um, chiropractor stuff, but she does cupping as well. And so she was like doing some cupping on me and I read that you can feel fatigued and, you know, feel like you have a fever, like feel like flu-like symptoms after you get cupping done because it's releasing all these toxins from your body. So that's what happened. So I'm feeling a lot better this morning, but yesterday I was out. I was out of commission. I did not feel good. <laughs> so Today, I'm feeling much better. But anyways, I am in Miami. I'm here for quite some time. I don't have any trips planned at all. I'll be here for a while. I'm super excited for Keon to get here. He is coming in around two weeks, two, two and a half, two weeks to South Florida. So I'm super excited for him to move here. But yeah, I've been I've been loving just being in Florida. Like I I don't really want to to plan a trip anywhere right now. So it's been a lot of fun being here. I just recently got back from North Carolina. So I was in Raleigh moving my brother and sister into school. And it was just a lot of fun, like being there, spending some days in, in Raleigh, being with my team, and then just like going back to where I went to school. It was just kind of like a nice walk down memory lane. So yeah, it's been it's been exciting. But I love spending time in person with my team, but it also makes me realize like how good we work remotely. Like honestly, I feel like we're more productive we work remotely than when we're in person because when we're in person it's like we're talking we're chatting we don't get as much done as like 
working independently. So I'm super happy that like we work well remotely because we are a remote team for sure. We're definitely, definitely a remote team. And what we've been working on lately is really trying to get um, our pitch perfected because we actually have demo day coming up. So when you're listening to this podcast, demo day will have either already happened or happening in a few hours because it's <laughs> I'm doing it Monday night. So if you listen to this podcast when it comes out on Mondays, today is demo day. So we have demo day where we're pitching in front of like hundreds of investors in Raleigh, which is super exciting, but also super intimidating. So I'm very excited and also nervous. So yeah, I will update you on next week's episode how demo day went. If any of you have ever like pitched a meeting or or pitched a startup idea to investors, like let me know any like pre-meeting nerves that or pre pre-meeting I how do I say like getting getting rid of the pre-meeting jitters or pre-meeting nerves because I could definitely use that for <laughs> for demo day. So today I am super excited for this episode. Like I had such an amazing conversation with Bridget. I'm so excited for you to listen to this. And as we've talked about in previous episodes, a lot of industries have really suffered due to COVID. Uh, I feel like, you know, you always hear on the news how many businesses had to shut down, how many industries have been really, really affected. But there is one industry that has been thriving even throughout COVID. And if you can guess it, let me know what you think. But it's not going to come as a shock to people. It's alcohol. Alcohol has been thriving during the pandemic. And I'm not a huge drinker, but I did get into a few brands during quarantine. You know, I found the, found the, found the brands that I've liked when it comes to alcohol. And I am such a sucker for a great cocktail. I love a good cocktail. I, personally am a huge fan of margaritas but spicy margaritas to be specific and then also I've been a fan of like floral vodka drinks and I know that's very specific but whenever there is a drink on the menu with like rosemary some rose water vodka some berries you know, that's the drink I'm going to be getting. And I just found making a fun drink on the weekends can create the illusion of going out. And it was always something that I really looked forward to. During COVID, I remember me and my roommate, when I lived in New York, we would always make these like cocktails at home. And we had some Aperol spritz, we had some margaritas, we had some vodka drinks. Like it was just a fun way of like looking forward to the weekend, even though you're not really doing much. I know I wasn't the only one inspired to try out new spirits as our guest today decided to jump straight in and create her own. I am so excited to have Bridget Taylor on the podcast today as she has crafted one of the coolest looking brands of vodka that I have literally ever seen. I am, I'm obsessed with good branding, as you all know, and Harrod and Vodka sucked me right in. It's the branding is top notch. It has this dark smoky vibe that has immediately made me want to try it out. And their website is kind of like spooky, which honestly I love. I'm totally here for. I feel like it's different than anything I've ever seen. And Bridget is rewriting the spirit story and making the female character the hero. She's reclaiming the word harridan and using it to empower women. And don't worry, we get all into that in the episode. I think it's so cool how she found out her name. But we're also getting into feminism and stereotypes in the alcohol industry, steps to starting a spirits business during a pandemic, and how to ask distilleries the right questions, the setbacks of being a female founder in a male-dominated industry, and how a vodka is defying everything that the industry says a women's spirit should be. Super excited to get into this episode with Bridget. 
I know you guys are all going to absolutely love it. It was honestly one of my favorite conversations. I I didn't want to hang up and I honestly want to have her on for a part two. So if you guys are interested in that, definitely let me know. Be sure to rate and review the podcast. That means so much to me. It not only helps my podcast get discovered, but it helps you know, spread the word about all of these amazing guests that I have on. So please be sure to rate and review. And also if you're listening to this, screenshot it and post it on your Instagram story, tag me so that I can repost and I can personally thank you. But anyways, without further ado, let's get into the episode with Bridget. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today, as it should, with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tip are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet. Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard-earned cash when I need it most. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz. And take it from me, I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Heirs tour for like the third time. You know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream. It is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 400 50 degrees, reduces and repairs split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration, and according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. 
I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code RealReal. Hi, Bridget. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. Hi, Natalie. I am just so honored and delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on, especially because I think starting an alcohol company is one of like the coolest things that you can do. So I'm like really <laughs> excited to hear about it. But before we get into really the main topics, I wanted to start with setting the record straight. So that's some stereotypes, some assumptions, and then you'll let me know if they're true or false. So first one is that you should go to business school before you start your own company. Ooh, I would say definitely false. And I think Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates would both agree. Uh, I think for me, it definitely helped round out some skill sets so that I felt more confident starting a business than I think I would have otherwise. But if you've got a great idea and you're excited about it and you're ready to get to work, you don't need an MBA to yeah. make that dream happen. Yeah, I think now like less and less you need one because you can learn so much online. But I also think exactly. that, yeah, there's value in also going to school and being in a more structured setting and, you know, learning exactly kind of like the steps on starting a business and a holistic view of the business world. So I think there's pros and cons to both. And then it just like depends on the person. Yeah. And I, I, now that I'm reflecting on it a little bit more, I think the biggest value to me was actually, it provided me with a group of people or a network who were also starting their own businesses. And so now, for example, I have four to five friends that I can, or that I was texting and that I continuously text. In the beginning, it was, you know, should I do a C-Core or an LLC? Or do you have a corporate lawyer I can recommend? How, which state did you incorporate in? Kind of the unsexy questions about starting a business, but you just have no idea what the answer is unless mm -hmm. someone tells you what their opinion is. Uh, and even now, it's just so nice to have a group of friends who I can text to be like, has anyone figured out the TikTok <laughs> algorithm? Like, we are really, you know, stuff like that. So I think that that was probably the biggest gift that business school gave to me. Yeah, I feel like that, that's the hardest part, honestly, about having your own business is like, you don't have that many people that can either relate to you or the questions like I'll ask such specific questions. And like, I'll try Googling it. And it's a lot of like vague answers, but I'm like, no, 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 I need this specific question. Like, and I don't want to call like a lawyer or an accountant anytime I have like a simple question. It's so much easier just to like ask someone who's already been through it. So that's something that's so hard to find. Oh my gosh. And I mean, the C4 LLC was a perfect example of you'll Google that, be like, which one should I do? And the answers are all like, there are pros and cons to both. And you're like, well, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just, but I need to know, you know, specific to me. And oh God, I totally hear you on the lawyer front. Lawyers are just so expensive. Um, yeah. Drives me nuts. They're my least. Sorry if any lawyers are listening <laughs> to this. I'm sure you've got great income because you charge business owners so much money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I completely agree. And then the next one is that the alcohol industry is very saturated. Oh, oh these are great questions. <laughs> 
I like to ask some oh, tough, tough know, questions. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I would say from a business school standpoint, you know, if, if I was studying the alcohol industry in a class, the answer would be absolutely. There are so many brands, but I would say as an alcohol startup, you, you do find your niche and you find your voice that you're like, wait a minute, this doesn't exist. And people choose their alcohol brands, at least my opinion, is on a more emotional basis, increasingly so. It's less like, oh, this alcohol tastes the best. It's more this brand speaks to me. And I feel like that's where there's a lot of opportunity for innovation and for more brands to be to be offering a new type of voice in this space. So that does not a answer but <laughs> no I mean I agree because so I'm starting my own like social media management company where we're helping yes, I saw yeah we're helping influencers like manage and monetize their brand and yeah um helping brands work with influencers and that industry people would say is super saturated like that's the number one pushback we get is like there's so many companies already doing something similar but it's like I have been immersed in this industry for 10 years. I've been working on every aspect of this industry for so long that like I can see the the spaces that are not filled yet. And you know, like the the niche that has not yet been tapped. But when you're talking about it just like broadly and like generally, you're like, oh yeah, I'm helping influencers connect with brands. And it's like, oh my God, there's like thousands of companies like that. And it's probably similar with alcohol. It's like an alcohol industry. Like look at the liquor store. It's like full of liquor, but it's like, no, no, no. But like, there's a space still in it. <laughs> yeah, like there is a niche. Well, and it's interesting. I was checking out your your website uh, before this, and and I don't know if this is necessarily the angle that you're going for, but what stood out to me is as a new brand who definitely has explored, you know, influencer relationships. Your your message is just so clear and like easy to follow, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally understand the value that you're offering and the way you're going to approach this problem. Whereas I feel like a lot of, a lot of other players who quote unquote saturate the market, it, it, their message can be so convoluted. So I think you made such a good point with the power is in the niche. And if you mm -hmm. can, if you can conquer your niche and, and own it, the market doesn't seem saturated then. Yeah, no, I agree. I always use the analogy of like restaurants, for example, like New York City has so many restaurants, you know, like it's literally a restaurant on five restaurants on every single block. So there's tons of restaurants, but like no one's ever going to say like, no, 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 we don't need any more. Like people are always excited for the new one that's opening up and like they all happen to do pretty well. I feel like they're they're doing really well. And I think it's because you don't need to stop just when there's like a lot because there's always room for innovation and for something else too. Oh my gosh. Whenever anyone is specifically speaking to alcohol saying that it's saturated, I'm like, I bet you didn't know that, you know, this brand actually only started five years ago. And now everyone is like, oh, this is by far the most popular brand. But, you know, if George exactly. Clooney wasn't the owner, someone probably would have told him being like, oh, the tequila space is saturated. But he was like, screw that. Like, I've got a cool tequila to launch. So, right. yeah. Right. Always oh. room for innovation. I, I could talk about this for like <laughs> hours. So. <laughs> I, know. I know. Oh, my gosh. I know. Well, and, I, and you and I probably both get the same pushback from investors or advisors or just people offering their unsolicited opinion. And we're like, you know, we've done this research. So, go yeah. away. Exactly. Or I appreciate the input, but sometimes it's annoying. <laughs> but go away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and 
And then the next one is that vodka is better than tequila. I guess this is your opinion. Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. This is another, I get so passionate about this too. So I had always been more of a tequila person. I love tequila and I, I love tequila cocktails. However, as we're speaking about saturation, when I was considering starting a, a alcohol company, I was like, all eyes are on tequila right now. I don't feel like I could confidently come in and be like, as someone who, you know, does not speak Spanish can launch, you know, such a launch a liquid that is such critical to, or so, so central to the country of Mexico. I was like, I'm, I don't feel comfortable doing that. I do not have the expertise. And then I was like, well, wait a minute, no eyes are on vodka right now. And why don't I try to make a vodka that make that challenges my preference for tequila? And so that's what I look to do with Herodin. And actually, Herodin, if anyone, you know, everyone should go out and buy it and try it. Um, but if you if you smell it and you taste it, we actually get a lot of comparisons to tequila uh, because that's the recipe that we opted for is a little bit more of a tequila slash mezcal smokiness. Wow, I really need to try this vodka because I am someone that like, it's so good. yeah, I like tequila a lot. Like tequila is definitely my drink of choice, but I can't drink it all the time or else I start feeling like, like grossed out by it. You know, I'm like, okay, this is just like too much of this. So I'll, I'll like switch yeah. over to vodka. So I really want to try yours because it looks so good. You are our exact customer because I was pretty much the same way where I was like, you know, I can only do tequila so much where I just want to switch it up. Right. Um, and now it's vodka or Herodin specifically is now that's all I drink. But in a world where I didn't own Herodin, I would be switching back and forth between Herodin and, and tequila. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, what were you doing before you started Herodin Vodka? What was kind of like your background? So not the spirits industry. Uh, so first, I started in financial services. So I was working at investment banks in equity research, specifically covering luxury retail companies. So I was covering Ralph Lauren and Tiffany, and I really fell in love with storytelling and brand building through that experience. And so after a couple years in finance, I then jumped to work for Valentino and Stuart Weissman. So I jumped to the corporate world where I was serving in a strategy role. So really further got into brand building, became obsessed with luxury retail, generally speaking. Then I went to business school uh, and I had never thought I was going to be an entrepreneur, unfortunately. <laughs> so I didn't take any of the entrepreneurship classes that probably would have been extremely helpful. And But then when, when COVID hit, I just started to, to really reevaluate what was important to me. And I still love fashion, but it was kind of like when I was stripped away of any activities and sitting in sweatpants all day. I was kind of like, do I really feel passionate about fashion right now? But what I knew was consistent was that I still felt really passionate about the storytelling and the brand building. And so as I was making a ton of cocktails during COVID, like many of us were during in our isolation, I fell in love with the alcohol industry. I was like, this feels like all of the brand importance that you experience in fashion and kind of tying it back to our earlier conversation, talk about an industry where you don't need another clothing brand, but yet of course they still appear because people have different visions and different, 
creative channels. And so the way I kind of phrased it in the beginning, I was like, alcohol feels like a lot of the things I loved about fashion, but without any of the Amazon pressures and some of the, the anxieties that the fashion industry often feels. So yeah, I, I then was like, why don't I try doing this? Try starting my own spirits company. And I've never looked back. I'm obsessed. It's the industry I want to work in for the rest of my life, ideally here it in. <laughs> that's incredible though. And that's also such a leap from not even wanting to be an entrepreneur to then being like, I'm going to start my own vodka company. Like that's just such a, like, <laughs> like a, I know. a jump. I feel like a lot of people before they start a business, it's like they're, they've wanted to be an entrepreneur their whole lives. They've like never wanted to work under someone. They've always wanted to like be their own boss. And then you're like, okay, let me try this out. And I feel like it's a, it's a very intimidating industry to just kind of jump into. So how did you like, what was that first step? Like you were like, okay, I want to start this company. And then like, what was next after that? Oh my gosh, good question. So actually the next step was, and this is where, you know, my business school framework started to come into play. So I was like, I need to do a ton of customer interviews to make sure that the opportunity that I see is not just specific to me, that I have you know, validation from other people who buy and drink alcohol. And so I got a bunch of my friends together and I just interviewed them on their drinking habits, what spirits they liked, and what, what price they were willing to pay for those spirits, why they chose the spirits that they did buy, how long have they been drinking those specific spirits. And what I started to tease out from a lot of these interviews is actually, Natalie, exactly what you had said about your drinking habits, where you were, everyone was like, I love tequila. That's my favorite. But, you know, I, if I'm not drinking tequila, I mix it up with vodka. And then the vodkas that people drank, there were only two of them, where I feel like in tequila, everyone was like, Casamigos is my base. But then if I'm drinking nice, like I go this tequila, or, or if I'm just making a trashy margarita, I alternate between these like three to four, three to four tequilas. And so that's when I started to be like, wait a minute, vodka can't be the only, the only alcohol where there's only room for two brands uh, or between two and five. Um, so that was my first step. And then after that, I just felt so emboldened that I was like, I really think that there is an opportunity or the opportunity that I see could be really really real and substantial. So then I started to contact distilleries about, about working with me on coming up with a recipe. And then when it really started to feel real was when I officially incorporated and got all my documents, like got a tax ID number and stuff and always the less sexy parts, but you do get, you know, a piece of paper that's like your business mm -hmm. exists and people can Google it and the government knows about it. And so you feel that's when I started to be like, Ooh, I feel like a businesswoman now. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're contacting these distilleries, like what are even like the questions that you're asking? Cause like, I feel like for me, for example, if I were to start an alcohol business, I literally would have no idea what to even ask. Like, are you just like, can you make this for me and like, give me a taste test or like, what is, what are those things that you're looking for when you are reaching out to these distilleries? Oh man. And i I love that question because I so felt the same way because I didn't have a, a background in alcohol. So first, before reaching out to the distilleries, I did a ton of taste tests with all the large 
vodka brands on the market. And I separated them out by, by what the base ingredient was. So you can make vodka pretty much almost from anything, which is kind of crazy. But the most common ones that people do are wheat, corn, rye, grapes, and potato. And so I got one from each of those. And, and from there, I just figured out I like corn the best. And so I knew I wanted a corn base. And then I Googled as much as I could about vodka production, just so that I didn't sound like a moron when I was yeah. <laughs> talking to the distilleries. And uh, from there, you know, it luckily it fell into place. I was very, I was very open about not having experience, but being like, I know what I want. I know the brands that I want to build and I know what I want it to taste like. And Distilleries are a pretty friendly bunch, I would say, generally speaking. They love their job. And luckily for the alcohol industry during the pandemic, many distilleries were able to either shift to producing hand sanitizer or the alcohol industry kind of emerged from the pandemic more unscathed than other industries. So everyone was really responsive and eager to take on a potential business partner. So from there, then I started to, like you said, ask for samples, and then I would try it and would provide feedback, uh, and then eventually found the distillery that I work with now, which is Meyer Farm Distillers in upstate New York, and they just truly make the best vodka I've ever had in my entire life, and we settled on this recipe, and I could not be more proud of it. Um, it was definitely great teamwork with him. That's amazing. and. When you're doing these taste tests and you're like trying out all these like different recipes, are you like trying them all out at once? I feel like I would get like drunk off of these taste tests. <laughs> are you separating them out like day by day? Like what, what does that look like? Oh my gosh. It will, it, it was kind of fun because there was nothing else to do. This was like April, 2020. When yeah. No, yeah, it was, we were all so bored and like kind of very anxious and <laughs> upset. So I, I split it out into two different evenings. So the first evening, my boyfriend and I, we tried all of them straight and we just sipped it because yeah, yeah, I wasn't yeah, looking to like, <laughs> yeah, like rip, you know, five different types of shots and feel extremely sick. And then the, the next time we had our little quarantine pod, you know, so we had our two friends who were the only friends we were hanging out with. They came over, and that was a night where we made a we made five different types of cocktails uh, and played board games. So that was how we we figured out which which type of vodka tastes best in a cocktail. But it definitely did result in getting a little drunk, which made the board games more fun. Yeah, so, yeah. No, that's <laughs> that's really exciting though, and I think it's cool to kind of be able to pick out like what makes each one different. Because I'm I had no idea that like you could make vodka out of anything. Like, I don't know a, a lot about the alcohol industry at all. So for me, like that, I didn't even know about that. So that's cool that like each one has kind of its own different flavor. So once you decided on like, okay, you're found out the recipe, you're sticking with it. I feel like you launched pretty quickly. Is that safe to say? Like if you started this in April, 2020, and now it's August, 2021, and like people can buy it now. So like, how quickly did you launch? Like, when did you like put it in liquor stores? Because I know it's only in New York right now, right? 
So actually, no, we, we are in New Jersey, Florida, and California, not on a big scale, uh, but we also do national shipping. So that's helpful too. You can live anywhere and be able to order us. But to answer your question, we officially launched in December of 2020, which definitely is a pretty fast turnaround. And I think the reasons for that were two parts. So we'll start with one, the vodka recipe. So vodka itself, you don't have to age and it, you can make it in the United States, unlike tequila. Uh, and so my supply chain was pretty tight in the sense that it was made in upstate New York. And so it didn't really have to travel far. And you can make vodka in under a month. And I'm sure some of the bigger companies turn out vodka a lot faster for our distillery, the amount that he... Um, the amount of effort and love that he puts into our product takes about a month. So that was the speed number one. Then I would say speed number two is that we were able to order the products that we wanted in really small batches. So for example, the bottles that, that we ordered, a lot of other bottle companies, they make you buy at least a thousand, but we found this incredible bottle, uh, their hand-blown bottles, so hand-blown bottle company in Mexico that was able to produce really small quantities for us. And so where that was helpful is that when we launched, we didn't have to have this nationwide rollout plan. We were able to launch with only about 500 bottles, launch in a couple of liquor stores and really get our footing and understand this industry that no one on my team had experience in and do a lot of testing um, as part of our initial launch. So I think those would be kind of the, the two components. First, tight supply chain. Second, being able to launch in a really small, small way. Yeah. And is it hard to launch an alcohol company because of all like the rules and regulations that come with alcohol? Because I feel like just a business in itself, like you already have like rules and regulations just to even like incorporate, but then an added layer is, I feel like the alcohol industry is super regulated. So, and every state is different. So is that hard to kind of figure out what states you're able to launch in or to even like start this type of company? Are there a lot more like loops that you have to jump through? Yes. Oh my gosh. The loops are insane. Uh, so it is a highly, highly regulated industry. However, I will say that the, the TTB, the, I actually don't know what TTB stands for, but that is the alcohol, <laughs> that is the, the alcohol oversight board in the U.S. They're extremely efficient. Uh, and I have been continuously impressed by them because I just assumed that it was going to be this slow bureaucracy full of cranky people and it would be so hard to get approval for anything. But they actually post on their website all how long it takes to turn around every certificate or whatever you need. And all of it is under a month. I was able to get the licenses that I needed pretty quickly. Then this, the, the other down or the downside of the industry really is because there's so much regulation, you have to have a lawyer to help you translate it, which is just a very painful cost. But like other, if you break the law and you don't realize it because it's so complicated, Right. That's worse than, than just, you know, paying up, paying up the lawyer. So I, I hired a great lawyer who was, was very helpful in terms of navigating the industry. 
But even with all of that, so even with the the government board being very efficient, having a great lawyer, I still had these spirals some days where I would be like, oh my God, like, do I have to get this extra permit that I didn't even know about in order to operate? Am I going to go to jail because I like of a law I don't even know about? So it definitely, it definitely was a distraction, but, uh, but yes, it was, it was certainly a challenge when launching the industry, the regulatory landscape. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm sure I feel like that's honestly the most, that's so intimidating to me. Like I already feel stressed enough just running a business that doesn't have any of these like tough regulations. And I'm like, whoa, if I had to have like those on top of it and every single state is different. So it's like, if you're trying to distribute, it's like you have to be in line with every single state's rules and none of them are the same. Oh my gosh. And that's, that's one thing people will say, oh, when are you going to be you know, when are you going to be in every state? And I'm like, probably not for several years because there are some states like Massachusetts, which still has Puritan laws as part of its general alcohol laws. And, and, and I only know Massachusetts because I went to school in Massachusetts. So that's the one I'm familiar with, but I haven't even thought about states outside of the East coast and what those alcohol laws will pertain. And it's, it's interesting. I feel like now that I know how difficult it is to launch in, in multiple states, I read I read other other alcohol brands press releases when they come out and they're always like, Yeah, we're launching in three states. <laughs> and as I read that, I'm like, I totally understand because it's such a pain in the butt to be able to launch in all fifty states. Yeah. It's very interesting. What is a Puritan law? What does that mean like when it comes to alcohol? <laughs> oh, and if there's any modern day Puritans listening to this, sorry if I get this wrong, or any lawyers who are like, you're incorrect. <laughs> An example would be in Boston, you're not legally allowed to serve alcohol on Sundays before 1 p.m. or something. Yeah. It's, it's things like that where you're just like, where does this come from? And it apparently comes from the Puritans. Yeah, so. North Carolina. So I'm from North Carolina and I'm now in Miami. Okay. But in, in North Carolina, I remember a few years ago, that was a thing of like, they passed like a brunch bill, which meant like you can serve alcohol Sunday mornings now or like you can buy alcohol Sunday mornings. But like, I never understood why you couldn't. I was like, I understand if some people hold that belief that like they don't want to drink alcohol on Sundays, like whatever, that's fine. But like to have a statewide rule that like, okay, Saturday night, you're good. <laughs> Monday, you're good. But oh Sunday, my- you can't. It's like, I don't get it. Like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Saturday morning at 10 a.m., you can have a Bloody Mary. Sunday morning at 10 a.m., you cannot because <laughs> God is watching. It makes, and like, of course, if, if that is your belief, yes, that is your belief and amazing. Like you have every right to that. But in terms of it being an actual law, seems right. a little separation of church and state doesn't feel like it's happening. Right, right. No, I completely agree. But that's really funny. And what are some other challenges, I guess, that you face when starting Paradin? Like, what are some of the things that maybe you've, you like, didn't think that you would go through or anything that you've kind of had any setbacks that you might have had? Oh, okay. Well, one that I feel like I talk to my team about all the time is the amount of pushback that we initially got on our customer that that we so clearly envisioned even existing. And so 
like I would say, okay, this, this alcohol or this Herodin, I want everyone to be able to resonate with a brand and want to buy it. But I would say specifically who we're speaking to are, you know, angry feminists like me. And that's, that is going to be the core of the brand. Those are going to be the stories that we share. And I think everyone should be a feminist. So I don't really think it is specific for one gender, but the amount of pushback that I got from liquor store owners that were like, women don't buy their own alcohol. And so this doesn't really make sense that you would be targeting this customer group. And women don't buy alcohol. <laughs> I'm and so confused. I all my friends. Yeah. And they were like, you know, and hey, maybe it was this store, I guess only guys come in and buy their alcohol, but it was framed as such a sweeping statement as like, women are not the ones who buy alcohol when they come in. And I was, I immediately texted all my friends being like, you guys all buy your own alcohol too, right? Like I'm not being crazy that I'm the only one who buys my own booze and everyone was like, Bridget, what are you talking about? Of course we buy our own alcohol. Where's this coming from? But things like that, that kind of shake up your confidence by being like, I thought what I'm introducing is so obvious and everyone should be excited about supporting it. And these random challenges that you get that you don't even really know what to say. You're like, I guess I don't have specific stats and data off the top of my mind to prove you wrong. But the idea that I even need those in order to change your mind was a little, was, was strange and a little disconcerting in the beginning, although now I'm over it. Yeah. That's so weird. I feel like to say, I feel like, like, I've just never heard that before. Like I've never heard of the only men buy alcohol. It's like, wait, what? Like, I just never even heard that like stereotype before. <laughs> oh, I know. So strange. And then, and actually related to that, one challenge that I would say I'm experiencing, I experienced it some in the beginning, but we're experiencing right now is that speaking of outdated laws, the alcohol industry operates in, in three tiers. So there's the producer tier, so the people actually creating the alcohol. There's the distributor tier, so the people who ship it from the producers to the liquor stores. And then liquor stores, bars, and restaurants, they're the third tier. So like the actual consumer-facing tier. And you can't operate in more than one tier legally. And so where, and sorry if any lawyers are listening to this and are like, Bridget, you butchered that, but that is the way that I'm currently capable of, of explaining it. And where that becomes really critical is that in order for me or for Herodin to get to the customer, I completely rely on that third tier. So on the bars, the restaurants, and the liquor store owners. But if our brand and the way we're positioning ourselves that we're excited about is like, we're an angry feminist brand, we're the spirit of defiance, we're for anyone who's been overlooked or underestimated, our spiel, if the liquor store owner is a man who that, that message does not resonate with at all, we're going to be completely tossed to the wayside. And they're like, I don't understand where your brand is coming from. We're not going to put you in our store. And there's no way that we can get to the customer outside of that liquor store owner. And what I increasingly am, am like, oh my gosh, the world needs more of these. We just need more female, some like some more minority 
business owners because if there's only one perspective controlling what what reaches the customer right now and that has to change because mm-hmm. it's it's just a filter that shouldn't exist. Well, it's also probably because most liquor store owners are probably men. Like I'm just assuming off from exactly the liquor stores I go to, I mainly see men that are kind of working there and, you know, owning it. So if that's the case, then a lot of things that they will carry resonate to them specifically. And so then as a consumer, when I walk into a liquor store and I only have those options, of course, I'm going to buy them. Like I'm not going to, you know, be like, oh, I don't see what I want. I'm leaving. Like I'm going to buy the one that they carry. And then their head, they're like, oh, we'll see people want this. They don't want like a, a feminist drink, but it's like, no, you're just not carrying it. So it's it's like that disconnect. Yes. It's like it's, yeah, it's a disconnect from like the liquor store owners being ma- mainly men and only carrying things that really resonate with them and not understanding that, that that's not necessarily what their audience wants. It's just what they have to have because that's all you carry. <laughs> you phrase that all so perfectly. And where it really became obvious to me was this past week, I had a woman reach out to me. She's opening a liquor store in upstate New York. And she's so, so excited. And part of the application is you have to say brands that your store is going to carry that nearby liquor stores don't carry, which makes sense. They're like, why is your liquor store going to be different? And so she reached out to me and she was like, can I put you on our application that will carry you? And one, I was like, oh my gosh, absolutely. I'm so honored that you reached out. Second, I got on the phone with her and she just, she expressed this vision. She was like, when you walk into my liquor store, I want to have shelves that are like woman-owned businesses, black-owned businesses. And I want to be able to tell my consumers who they're supporting and really communicate this brand story. And I just, (laughs) at this moment, I was like, this is why more women need to be in charge is because like, it's just, there's so much more thoughtfulness into being like, we should be communicating how, how our community can support underrepresented brands Mm -hmm. because the current, the current people in charge, the current power structure is not doing that well. And it needs to change. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it's so cool what you're doing. And you do have a very powerful story. And I think that's incredible. And I know Herod and Vodka is, how did you come up with the name for that? Because I know that there's also a story behind the name. (laughs) Uh, So the name itself means an angry, belligerent old woman. (laughs) Although we're kind of taking out the old part. So it's just angry, belligerent women in general. And the way I came about it was I initially was gonna call it widow vodka but there were a lot of trademark issues and the reason i was going to call it widow vodka is i thought of my grandmother who who wasn't a widow early in her life and she just kind of had this as aside from the tragedy of my grandpa passing had this kind of amazing second chapter of her life where she was just super independent and just really like the captain of her own ship and i always found that really inspiring But anyways, there were a lot of trademark issues with the word widow. And I think we can all think of, you know, Black Widow, the movie, for example. I didn't really want to get sued by Marvel. Uh, So I I started Googling just other words for, or traditionally derogatory words used for women that we, that we could turn on its head and redefine. And so I Googled synonyms for hag, for example. 
and Harridan showed up and I was like, I've never heard of this word. And then the more research I did on it, I was like, oh my God, how have I never heard of this word? I feel like an angry belligerent woman, that is me. And secondly, it was used in a derogatory sense historically. But the more I thought about it, angry belligerent women are probably the women of history who have always gotten things done. Like I doubt anyone was like, oh, Susan B. Anthony, she was a sweetheart. Everyone's yeah. like, Susan B. Anthony, like really caused some, you know, raised some hell. So uh, that was really the inspiration. I fell in love with the word Harridan and was like, this has to be the name. I love it. No, I think it's so cool. And I love that your branding is also not like super girly because I think that a lot of times, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I love branding. Like branding for me, like I will buy a shampoo bottle just because I like the way that the package looks and I literally know nothing about what's inside of it. So like I am a sucker for branding. Like I love it. I love the girly branding. I like the minimal branding. I just like anything that catches my eye, like I will purchase because that's just like what I'm drawn to. But I do think that a lot of times women will make brands and it's very, very, very geared towards other women where it's like, pink and frilly and girly. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like I am a consumer of those types of brands too. But I think it's like, I'm glad that there's other like women-owned businesses that aren't that, you know, that it's not just pink and girly and frilly and that's it. Cause I think that's what people think like, oh, okay, if I'm gearing towards women, then how do I market this? And you know, that's what they do. Or it's similar to like, when you go into like the men's aisle at Target of like hygiene stuff. And it's like a silver metal like barbed wire like packaging to be like all like tough as a man and whatever but yeah it's like the opposite goes for women sometimes when it's like it's only the pink girly soft cute packaging so I like that this is like the branding is still like amazing but it's not that like traditional feminine packaging oh my gosh I could not agree with you more and that was definitely one of the reasons that Harridan even started was, you know, as I was so excited trying all these different vodkas and, you know, really committing to starting this business, I started just Googling, you know, oh, who, you know, started Marinoff? Like, oh, who started, you know, all these different brands. And there were just hardly any female founded vodka brands, female founded alcohol brands, and the ones that were, and this is with all the respect, like these women who have started those brands have crushed it and it's awesome, but they are all very like pink and frilly. And, and, you know, you even look at some of the more established brands when they've offered their female geared products also been super pink, super frilly. And wow, like you, I also consume all those brands, huge sucker for packaging. I was like, however, I also have a completely different aesthetic. Like when I wear clothes, I guess, except for today, because hot out and I'm wearing a white (laughs) t-shirt, like I'm always in black. Like I love wearing black. And I would say my general aesthetic is like very dark and Victorian. And so while I buy pink products, because I also, you know, do like the color pink and those packages are usually very pretty. Like it's, I would not call it my aesthetic. And so with Harridan, I was like, I know there's more people like me out there and who like pink, but also like dark Victorian things. And that was my gamble. I was like, I'm going to see if, if this sticks. And what was so exciting is that that is, in addition to the vodka being amazing, like the first thing that people 
call out is that they love the packaging. They're like, this packaging is so unique. It's so different. We just won a huge award at the San Francisco Wine and Spirits competition, uh, a double gold. We're That's amazing. Really about it. Yeah, for, for the design. And so it was so important to us to be different than what female alcohol customers have normally been presented in the liquor store aisle. We wanted to be the upside down world of that. So instead mm-hmm. of pink and frilly, we're dark and edgy and I love it. Yeah. And I also, I was actually just talking about this with someone today, actually. And I was saying how, like, I think that a lot of times I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love seeing female founders, female business owners. Like, I think it's so important for that representation and for more women to enter the space. But I do think sometimes it's like when you do only market towards women, it's like, you can also be a female founder and like sell to men too, you know, and sell to anyone. And like, that's always like what I try to do. Like as I'm like starting my business and I'm growing a company, I'm like, I don't only want to be known as like, oh, a female founder that's that's only helping other like women influencers or anything like that. Well, I think that's great if that is what you're doing. Like I want to be someone that's just like a respected person in my field. Like, you know, and like also when you- Of course. Yeah, and like when you're talking about like who you're selling to, like you want to sell to anyone. It's kind of like, I use this example of like, female authors, for example, versus like men authors when they're writing like self-help books or like business books. I love reading just any business book, like doesn't matter who wrote it. But I do think that a lot of times, like when men write books, it's like everyone reads it, like men, women, whatever, like anyone reads it. But then when a lot of times when a female writes a business book, it's like very marketed heavily towards other women. And I'm like, anyone can still learn from that person. Like, it doesn't matter that they're a woman that ran a business. Like anyone can learn from them. Like a guy can learn from them. A girl can learn from them. Like it doesn't matter. So I just love that yours is like, it's not only geared towards like the women at all. It's like anyone who likes this branding wants to have it and like good for them. And I really like that. Yes. Oh man. And this is why you have a, an amazing podcast channel. You said you voiced that so perfectly. I completely agree with everything that you said. And one, you know, I think, I think about this a ton in the alcohol space because one, 99% of alcohol brands are owned by men and yet they appeal to everyone. So that is the sweeping statement. But secondly, I think whiskey brands are a really good example how, you know, I'm thinking of one whiskey in particular, their, their icon is a, is a cowboy, but it's, my favorite whiskey. I think they make the best whiskey. And when I look at their packaging, I don't see a cowboy and be like, oh, because it's a cowboy and not a cowgirl, like I'm not allowed to buy it. I just buy it because I love it. And I don't really think twice about the branding. But to your point, it's like any any alcohol that has a, any inkling of being associated with women is a girly drink and yeah. it's only for women. And so that's what we're trying to do with Heriden is we're, we're focusing on these heroines of history, but we're not trying to position it as like, you know, this one's a drink for the ladies. Like, we're like, this is for anyone who believes in equality. And if you don't believe in equality, I don't want you yeah. looking at my brand. Like you can walk down the aisle. It's for anyone who believes in equality and is excited to learn about figures of history that haven't been appreciated. And that's just one aspect of the brand. The other aspects that we're exploring are mysticism and I won't say wellness because alcohol is not is not really a wellness thing but I will say it's all themes 
that we're hoping will resonate with people regardless of where they fall on the gender spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. And I'm curious now, what does your day-to-day look like? I'm sure every day is different, but like, do you have a structure on kind of what you do and how you manage a team and how you manage a business? Like, I feel like that's just, you have a lot on your plate and like, especially for such a new company, like I, you must be doing so much. So do you have kind of like a daily routine that you follow? Oh my gosh. Uh, I will say less. And I've, I've heard some of the other morning routines that people walk through on the show and I felt so inspired. I'm like, I should really rethink my morning, <laughs> but I would say it's, it's more right now of a weekly routine because the day to day is just so many curveballs. So I would say on Sundays, what I do are I write out what I want and need, what I need to accomplish this week and what I want to accomplish this week. And that's how I hold myself accountable because otherwise I feel like as the week gets going and different opportunities arise where I'll get emails from people being like, oh, now we're available for a tasting, like come on in, or we want you to meet this person, like let's schedule a meeting that it's so easy to get lost in the ad hoc of starting a business that you need you need some sort of way to be like, no, Bridget, these are your true priorities. And although you want to do everything, like this is what you've got to hit. So I'd say Sundays, Sundays I have that reflection moment. And then every morning I always work, I start to that list and I'd be like, okay, what's achievable today? And so I like make my priorities and I figure out when I'm going to accomplish it. And then I just kind of let the waves of the day take me. So I usually have some meetings um, or several meetings with Harridan already on the calendar. And when I am not in those meetings, like I am prioritizing going to events that we're sponsoring or then proactively scheduling a call with maybe an artist that we're collaborating with or that we're hoping to work with. And the last thing I'll say is that is that right now I feel like these opportunities and maybe I'm kind of beating a dead horse here, but like these opportunities just come up so quickly. So I try, I try to kind of relax into this unstructured form of my day so I can chase those opportunities instead of feeling like it's messing up what I'm supposed to be doing that individual day, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. I'm the same exact way. I actually now, so I have... I feel like I have so many meetings on my calendar and random people that I'm speaking to. And I mean, we're fundraising also. So it's like speaking to investors and then speaking with my team. Thank you. And like all of, you know, there's just so many different meetings that I have that I actually scheduled Wednesday to be my no meeting day where I don't have anything on my calendar. So I can do what I like need to do and like actually get stuff done and have it be unstructured. And if you told me that two years ago that I would like love a day that I had not one thing on it, I'd be like, Oh my God, what? Because I like love that structuredness and like, yeah. what, what am I doing at this exact hour? And now I'm like, Oh my God, I live for these unstructured days. Like these are like my absolute favorite now. <laughs> oh my gosh. And you, I don't know if you're maybe the same way because you just said that, but and I don't mean to make myself sound like a loser. I have a robust social life that's also pandemic appropriate. Uh, but I love working on Saturdays and Sundays. It's just like the silence of no one bothering you, just getting to sit on my couch and really get organized for what I need to accomplish. Or like just even reflecting on what the hell happened last week. You know, what were the takeaways? What did I learn? Like, 
what can we do better? Those, I mean, I, I love Saturday and Sunday work. I love it. I like it too, because you don't have like emails flooding your inbox that you need to get to. You can really just like organize, focus on what you need to do and like don't have that extra distraction. So I actually, I'm like you, I Sundays, especially like Saturdays, I usually don't work, but like on a Sunday, like afternoon, just sitting down and working without oh. anyone talking to you and like distracting you and emailing you or pinging you. It's like, this is so nice. Like I feel I don't have like the Sunday scaries, you know, like I go into Monday, like feeling good and confident and not like, oh my God, I have so much stuff I need to do this week. Oh my gosh. I I couldn't agree more. And I feel like for me, sometimes Monday through Friday, and I'm sure you feel the same. It just like, it, it feels stressful, right? Like you have to do so much. You've got so many people that you have to talk to. And then also people who are relying on you for decisions and, you know, you're hoping that your decisions are right and doing right by your employees and by your customers. And then Saturday and Sunday in that kind of, you know, soft, like reflection organization moments, it's also such a reminder of, you know, wait a minute, like we're building something amazing. And when I think of what all that we accomplished this past week, like we're doing it. And it's, it's a great moment of appreciation for me. And not that I ever have these moments now that I'm like, why did I do this? I've never asked that. I'm obsessed with the decision to start Harridan. But it just it's more of a I'm so grateful on the weekend when I'm thinking about Harridan and what's happening. Oh no, totally. I, I completely relate. Like I, I feel like we're very, very similar in our working habits. So <laughs> it makes sense. But thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Where can they find you and also Harridan? And I need to purchase this you said Florida and I'm in Miami oh my so I'm gosh. like I'm gonna find like the nearest liquor store that has it and I'm gonna go and pick it up <laughs> uh, okay well I will say quick downside about Miami so we're in one restaurant we're in Makoto in Bell Harbor oh that's so like if you ever go there one for of my sushi, favorites oh my god it's so good okay you can order us there uh we're not on the, we used to be on the cocktail menu we're not on anymore but you can just ask for Harridan and whatever they know us and but so where anyone listening can find Harridan is if you go to our website and you click shop, it'll take you to somewhere where you input your state and just enter your state and it'll direct you to where you can order Harridan to be delivered to your door. And the only places that we don't ship are Mississippi and Utah. So I'm sorry for any Mississippi or Utah listeners, um, but everywhere else like Alaska, Hawaii, we got you. And the shipping's pretty fast, so it should get to you in like two to three days. But if you're in New York, um, we're in a ton of places in New York, so you can or New York City specifically. You can order us on Drizzly, and you'll get it within a couple of hours. But check our website; that's where all the information is, which is www.paradin.com. Awesome. And the last thing that I'll say is that we are currently. At, super small on Instagram. So also if people want to follow us, it's at Harridan Vodka. Awesome. Well, this was an amazing conversation. I feel like I had like a million other questions to ask you. So maybe we'll have you on for like a part two down the line and like see the progress also and like any expansions or anything like that. But this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast talking to you. And yeah, oh my gosh, I would love to come back.
hopefully will be really, really, really successful. Yeah, <laughs> I, I believe back. it. I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Real Real. I hope that you enjoyed and don't forget to rate, review, follow, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me personally on Instagram at Natalie Barbu and the podcast at The Real Real Podcast. I'll see you next Monday. Hey there, my name is Renee Rena, and I am the mom friend you have always wanted. I am also the host of the Mom Room Podcast. We publish two episodes per week, a co-hosted episode on Tuesdays and a solo episode on Thursdays. Popular topics include pooping and having sex after giving birth. I have a solo episode where I talk about not sharing a bed with my husband and why that's okay. I hope you'll tune in to these conversations every week. Join us on Instagram at the mom room podcast and start to feel a little less alone in this crazy thing called motherhood. Hey, my name is Lovan Roomf and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here. And vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then. <laughs>